The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by my wonderful co-host... Laura Nash. Thank you, Laura. Uh, and this week we are we are uh, making good barely on a promise we made deep in last year. Uh, we are returning to talk about the uh, results of and some of the games we missed from IF Comp 2020. This is our promised IF Comp 2020 wrap-up episode. Sorry it took us so long. Hey, you know, many people feel like they're still loving in 2020. We're just going to continue that feeling. Yeah, but we are. We said we were going to do this in a week or two, and it has been like six months. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Um, but like, th- there, there was definitely a period where I thought like, uh, we're just not gonna right because it had been a while and then i thought no no we just we just gotta do this. so first of all um what we are what we're gonna be covering today uh we're just gonna talk through the top 10 games from the comp and um weirdly enough very unusually uh half almost no four out of those top 10 games uh were games that we hadn't even talked about on the show uh during our fairly extensive coverage of the comp we did four episodes about the comp, and this is the first time we have... Usually we miss maybe one. Yeah. Maybe two tops, but this is the first time we had this many games we missed, and I think it's because there were so many entries this year. Even yeah. with guides, even with guests, even with four episodes, we did not uh, cover the games that ended up in the top, I guess. Yeah, uh, including, including one of the games the fr- that the tied for first game. place. Yeah, which... It, this blew my mind because the one of the top placing games in 2020 was one that not only had I not played, but honestly, my eyes had kind of just glanced off of when scrolling the list. I don't know if this is because the uh, I mean, we'll talk about it in a second. It's a wonderful game. The Impossible Bottle by uh, Linus uh, Aukason. Um, uh, the uh, the but yeah, scrolling through the list, the sort of like. Obviously, like the game is about a child, so the 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 like marker illustration for the cover art uh, and the text all sort of works and makes sense with it. But for whatever reason, my eye just sort of read that as like I'm not interested in this. It has amateurish looking art, <laughs> which doesn't make sense. I, a lot of the games that I love have amateurish looking art. That doesn't really matter. But I I never really looked at this one. I also think that uh, the beginning of the game doesn't tell you how cool it is. It takes like five, six minutes of playing mm-hmm. to get to the part that makes it awesome. And so when we talked to people who played five minutes of pretty much every game to point out what we should go for, people were like, they didn't mention this one. So uh, I think there's a, a couple reasons why we missed it. Uh, mm-hmm. We were also, I think by the end, we had played a lot of parser games. So we kind of assumed we hadn't missed any big parser <laughs> games uh guess we are wrong we were very wrong so we should probably go ahead and get into just talking about that one we're just sort of going to go in order through the list and uh, we're not going to rehash coverage that we already did of existing games i'll try to point you towards uh where those are in our our old coverage or not old it's you know from from last year uh of the 2020 comp uh, uh for the games that uh that also placed but looking at the first place position 
Uh, it's a tie between The Impossible Bottle, which we just mentioned by Linus, Linus uh, Akasan, uh, and Tavern Crawler by Josh LaBelle. So I really, really loved Tavern Crawler. Uh, you can go back to uh, here. Which episode was it that we talked about Tavern Crawler? Clicking, clicking, clicking through tabs, trying to find Tavern Crawler. Wow, we did four episodes. There it is. It's in episode 251 uh, from November 23rd. Uh, that's part four of our IF Comp 2020 coverage. Uh, Tavern Crawler really, really stood out to me as a really excellent game. Um, so it definitely deserves to be in the top spot. But when I saw that it was sharing its spot with The Impossible Bottle, uh, both of which got a score of 8.2, uh, I was kind of surprised. Uh, so the description on the uh, on the comp page for uh, the impossible bottle was: housework is only as dull as your imagination. Join Emma, six years old, on a playful adventure of peculiar proportions. Merciful puzzle fest, parser or point and click as you please. Web, including mobile or Z machine. Two hours. So a um, couple things right off the bat, just from that description, uh, another reason that I might have, uh, my eyes might have glazed past this one when scrolling the list of over a hundred entries was it starts with the word housework. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I thought it was going to be puzzle fest. <laughs> uh, also that, uh, you know, merciful puzzle fest. Okay. It's somewhat merciful. We'll talk about the puzzles. Um, uh, a couple other things about this, though, before we get into talking about the game itself, when I say parser or point and click as you please, this is a really interesting thing to me because it turns out this is the very first game that I have played that uses a brand new uh, like interactive fiction coding language called Dialogue. Uh, and it seems to be backwards compatible with the Z machine and the sort of like, you know, the same sort of uh, parsers you would use to play a game created with Inform. But it is created using a different coding language that uh, Linus Akison apparently created himself, uh, which is very interesting. Uh, but it also has its own interpreter that he calls the, I actually don't know how to pronounce that. It, it's the the A with the um, the circle above it from Swedish that it begins his last name. And I don't know what you call that letter when it stands alone, but it's the like A machine uh, instead of the Z machine. He has his own uh, parser system designed for these games. And that's what he's talking about when he, when it says parser or point and click as you please. So, um, I want to make sure I kind of point this out because I didn't realize this was a thing until I had already gone through and played the game, which was a bit of a bummer because it's really, really neat. Uh, if you go to play this game and you click on the IFDB page, this is a little confusing. You know how the IFDB has this little box at the right where you can click to download the story file, and there's a little button that says play online, and there's a link to download the map. Well, there's two play online links on there. One is the one that's part of the IFDB interface and appears on a button. That's not the one you want. That's the one I clicked. So when you told me that there was a fancy point and click thing, I had no idea what you were talking about. Right. Below the story file is a link that says play online that links to the interpreter that is running on uh, the creator's website. And it's his own web-based interpreter. And I would recommend playing it there. I played the game in uh, just, what, what's the uh, interpreter called? Lectrote, the sort of electron, um, you know, it, it's one of the better Mac sort of Z machine interpreters, but it's like a standard informed type interpreter. Um, 
And the game played fine there, and it played just like you would expect. Although I had a couple of weird little quirks, I think, with certain word usage that uh, I think is because this was not designed to play, not really designed to play in that style of interpreter. It's designed to play in this A-machine interpreter. And what that does, it's very interesting. It has the very same sort of interface as a standard parser game, except a lot of things, a lot of text is clickable. And most things that you can do, uh, you can do by clicking text on screen instead of typing in if you want. Um, And some things become quite a lot easier. So for example, uh, above the parser, you'll have a little line with some uh, things that you can click that you might want to do at that given time, and it changes those out. So we'll talk about the puzzles in a second, and I'm not going to get it into, you know, spoilery stuff here, but like, this is a really, really nice approach to just like making a parser a little easier to use. And I really wish I'd played the whole game this way. I didn't find out about this until I'd already completed the game or very nearly, and then I wasn't going to go back and start it again. Um, but you can do things like, you know, click on look and you get the the same as if you'd typed in look. You can click on inventory and you, you know, you you get the same thing you'd get if you typed in I or inventory. But it'll and it'll give you things like clicking on north or east or whatever. So it'll it'll list the the words you could normally type in order to navigate. But you can also click on um, item names in the text and you get the same kind of text that you would have if you, uh, you know, inspected the Examined item. Examined or looked, uh-huh. yeah. And if you click on an item that you can do something with, it'll give you suggestions on things you might do. So like if you click on spiral staircase, it'll have, uh, it'll say in the little, you know, um, status line, spiral staircase, climb it, you know, and you can click on climate to do that thing. Uh, or if you click on like a, um, uh, you know, an item in your inventory, like the microphone, you have a whole bunch of options, drop it, uh, put it in or on something, give it, plug it in, sing into it. Uh, so it's able to, as part of the interface of the game, suggest things that you might want to do. It's still a hundred percent is a parser game, but you can play probably most of it without typing. And so I think it's a really cool, um, I mean, I, I've played other games that have attempted to sort of do a combo of parser and, uh, and uh, you know, point and click. But mm-hmm. this is a very successful implementation of that. And uh, I think it, it says, it, I think it makes a real good case for this language that uh, this de- designer has created, that he was able to use this as, to create, oh, you know, he created a first place game uh, in IF Comp using his own tools that he built. Like, this is really, really cool. And I think says some says good things about the future of dialogue. Yeah, I think it's, I I played to a certain stopping point and then came back to it later, found out, you know, Reagan mentioned this thing and went back and replayed it properly. And I, I will say that it was six times. It was so much faster. Um, mostly because, well, partly I'd played the game again, but mostly it was my thinking could focus on the puzzles rather than on remembering what what specific words to use. Mm-hmm. Um, because every parser has their own language uh, that they like you using specific words. They like you referring to things in specific ways. And I had been so sick of typing miniature chair. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. And I that was quite. Yeah, we'll get to that. But that, that was quite I confusing. found out that I will mistype the word house. Like I just will typo that I will invert the U and the O like 50 percent of the time I'm typing for some reason. <laughs> and I found out that I will misspell miniature. Um not a problem when you're using point and click interfaces because you just click on the thing you want. It's so much easier for like 
just speeding up and, and concentrating on the puzzle. So yeah. I do want to talk about what this game is about, though. Yes. Okay. And- let's get into talking about the game itself. We've kind of talked through its its uh, its technology, which is cool. Um, but yeah, let's talk about the impossible bottle. So the beginning, yes, you are Emma, a six-year-old, and your dad is cooking dinner because uh, the Taylors are coming over. I pictured Coach Taylor. I was like, oh, the, kid, the Friday Night Lights couple's coming over. That's more fun for me. Uh, and you have to tidy up the toys and go to your room. There's different things you have to do to help get ready for this night. Uh, but the twist and what makes this game cool, so I'm going to spoil just that. Yeah. I think we but have to spoil it. To I think talk about you have to. Uh-huh. Like this game wouldn't be first place if it was a clean up your toys game. <laughs> uh, I mean, that'd be a bold choice. <laughs> a, a bold choice. Um, th- that said, I did really love the tidy the or set up your new office game, but that also had a twist. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, this one is uh, you have a dollhouse that is an exact replica of your house. And when you uh, take objects, you know, put objects into the dollhouse, they become real at full scale in your house. And when you take objects out or move them, they move around the house. So, uh, for example, if you were to um, – I'll say something not in the game. If you were to take a um, thimble and you put it in, it might be an ottoman. Like it plays with scale at that that range. Like a small thing will become a very large thing. So it's all about small things becoming big, big things becoming small, um, just moving around scale. So a lot of this game is your dad is trying to do something or you're trying to accomplish something and you need to alter the proportion of the objects in your house to complete the goal while your parents are being completely unhelpful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, your mom's uh, just on the phone. Also, your mom wrote a book on non-Euclidean uh, physics, so <laughs> it's, it's pretty great. Um, that That's all the puzzles in this game. Yeah, so um, I, I, I love this central puzzle mechanic. Like this, um, mm-hmm. I, I've definitely played other things that played with scale in this way. Uh, the first thing that sprung to mind for me was a VR game, a PSVR game that I played called, uh, I think it was The Fisherman's Tale or The Fisherman's Journey, something like that. Hmm. Laura's Laura's giving me a face, so she. Oh, do you, do you know which I'm talking? No, about? No, I do not. Oh, okay, sorry. I was going to say it's cats, but you. Oh, oh okay. I don't know why you you're referencing cats like the movie Cats. Like the the the, the movie Cats had no sense of scale, but the actual. Oh, okay. But the actual Broadway play Cats is everything is outsized. Yes. Um, okay. Well, what this was reminding me of specifically is the idea of like having like a miniature house and like the the things outside, you know, the, playing with the scale of like um, putting a a big thing into a into a tiny house and it it becomes a, a, a you, you know what I'm talking about. I'm badly mm-hmm. stating it, but like that in in uh, the Fisherman's journey i think um you are inside that house and there is a scale model house in the middle of your house and you're doing things like you know putting things in and taking them out and and it plays with that really well and it's in vr and it's very cool um so i was reminded quite a bit of that also maybe a little bit of i actually haven't played it but a a recent uh game called maquette that plays with a with a similar kind of um uh, from Annapurna that, or I, I don't forget, remember who developed it, they published it. That was a, a pretty similar central puzzle mechanic. So this is a great central puzzle mechanic. Yeah, the room four, I think, also is a dollhouse. Yeah, there's... Ooh. I didn't but know I, I think it's... This one's really fun because uh, since it's 
all text. Um, things really can transform. Yes, yes. And and the puzzles aren't as easily solved because you have to figure out how one thing can transform into another. Um, it's not like uh, when he tells you to get a tablecloth, it's not like you know that you're going to get a very big tablecloth. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. Like you, you have to think about what that might be. Like what is a smaller, very large version of a tablecloth. Yes, I love that. Um, and so I, I really, really enjoyed the the sort of, you know, the way that worked and the puzzles had, I felt like a really good like on-ramp. Um, so, you know, the first few things that you can do are, are, you know, fun stuff. The tablecloth thing is a good example because like- Super easy, straightforward. Yeah. One of the things that you're, uh, it really introduces you to this in a simple way where like your dad tells you to get a tablecloth for the dining room table. Uh, you go to the laundry room to look for that because that's one of the places you would look and you find a handkerchief. And then yeah, he actually even tells you, go to the laundry room. I think there's a tablecloth. Yeah, yeah. But so there's it, not one. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's, a, handkerchief. there's a handkerchief. And you can, of course, then put that into the dollhouse and, and you you do your thing. Um, first of all, just discovering that that was how the dollhouse worked was really fun. Um, I'm not sure I can exactly explain or remember exactly which puzzle I was on when I, I was obviously one of the early ones or I wouldn't have been able to get very far, but like when I discovered that that was how the, the dollhouse worked. Um, but I think it was just that I suspected because there's a, inside the dollhouse, there's a mommy doll and a daddy doll and a teenager doll that is your older brother. Uh, and, uh, moving them around the house just like moves your parents to different rooms. And so, uh, you know, when I, I think what happened to me first was like I grabbed all the dolls, or maybe even have just sort of grabbed everything out of the the dollhouse, and then went out mm-hmm. into the house and like, wow, everything's different, and my parents are missing. Because <laughs> um, you know, if you oh, do the fantastic. standard like uh, like adventure game thing where you just like go into every room and take all immediately, then you'll have some really confusing moments after you do that with the dollhouse room. Uh, but yeah, once you figure that out, there's some really cool quirks to this system. It's really, really well realized. One little touch that I don't think this is another, again, I don't think this is a huge like puzzle solution spoiler or anything, but one of the things that I really loved about the way this worked was that, you know, if you're, uh, you know, your dollhouse has rooms like a sitting room, a kitchen, a bedroom, and uh, I forget, like a a, study study. That's it. Um, And, Obviously, those each have those each of those four have corresponding rooms in the rest of your house. If you take all of the furniture out of one of those rooms, it ceases to be a study, and so does the room in your house. So it it the name of the room might change from study to you know striped room because there's like stripy wallpaper, and that's its only distinguishing characteristic once you take all the furniture out. And if you put that furniture into a different room, that becomes the study because it's now the room that has the computer desk. Um, I I really really liked that as a uh as a sort of a mid-game i don't know complication i didn't run into that until i was fairly far in uh and it was cool the first hint that this was going to happen is you are if you are say put the blank in the kitchen then they say do you mean the room like the kitchen parentheses lower right Mm -hmm. and they make you specify it by location. Um, so you can't say the room without the location of the dollhouse. And I didn't understand why until um, for 
reasons out of my control all of the furniture in a room fell out. Uh, let's let's <laughs> talk was, about that in a second if we can. And I, I was putting them back this, and I put them in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. And suddenly my room changed and I was like, ah, cool. I, I definitely want to talk spoilers because there are some of the later puzzles like what I think you're alluding to there that I, yes. I want to talk about. Um, but uh, before we do talk spoilers about specific puzzles or puzzle solutions, um, I, uh, I want to uh, definitely give the game a thumbs up for its hinting. Um, I did have occasional issues with this, but it has, I thought, some very well implemented hinting mechanics. First of all, at any time you can type goals, and your your goals list will will print, and it's it will tell you like all the things that your dad has asked you to do, and other goals that might have kind of come up as part of your your like your gameplay, and uh, it it does a great job of tracking those. Uh, and I thought the phrasing on them was pretty clear. Like I, I quite liked the goals system. And then it's also, of course, you can type in hint or hints or was it help? I forget. doesn't matter. Um, you can type in help and then hint. And then yeah. it's like hints are a slippery slope. But <laughs> I need it anyway. Go. Yes. The, the hint system in this, I thought was pretty well done. Um, it will, if you type in hint, it will give you one line of text. So it, it doesn't let you sort of, it's not exactly like an Invisiclues style of thing. Um, but if you type in hint multiple times bef- before going and solving anything, uh, then it'll it'll continue to give you increasingly, you know, um, explanatory hints. The, um, uh, the, I did run into a couple situations where it was trying to give me hints about something I uh, had already done. Uh, which was a little frustrating. Um, But then as soon as I accomplished really anything else, it sort of seemed to unstick the hint system and it started giving me hints about something more relevant again. Um, But all in all, I thought the hint system in this was really, really good. So the hint system in the game is quite well done. The walkthrough uh, is pretty useless (laughs) unless you really just want all the actions to get through a game. As someone who changed to replay the game in the proper way i wanted to use the walkthrough to make sure i didn't miss any steps reproducing but it literally is like north north south east west pick up go it there's no narrative so there's no way there's no way of checking the walkthrough to make sure you aren't doing things you don't need to. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of spoiled myself on some things I hadn't used yet because there were actions in the walkthrough that were used later. And there was no way to tell because it's just a list of actions. So I found yeah. that almost completely useless. Only use it if you are trying to, you know, it, it won't help you if you're stuck. Yeah. So this is this is something, this is a bit of a side note, because a side, you know, sidetrack, because I, it's not like we... You know, I, I try not to use walkthroughs when I'm playing these games, although I, I occasionally need to, especially when we're covering them for the show and I need to like, you know, push past something in order to make good use of time. Um, but I really and I, I also know there is a place for these sort of like uh, extremely minimalistic uh, interactive fiction walkthroughs that are essentially like a, a list of parser commands that you can type to go through the game. Um, but like, I really wish that, you know, maybe there, maybe that's exactly what some folks want when they want an IF walkthrough, but God, I wish people would do like a more standard, uh, more narrative style walkthrough for these games that would just say like, you know, uh, in order to do the, you know, in order to, uh, you know, get the such and such, you need to do this and then this and then this and then this. Especially in this one where the goals are so clearly defined. Like right. there are puzzle sets and you move on to the next set. Yeah. So it 
I, I feel like it could have. That, yeah, that's where like, I mean, we'll talk about um, uh, one of the other games I'm going to talk about today does a much more traditional Invisiclues style um, like uh, hinting system, which isn't as nice as the in-game hints in Impossible Bottle, um, but it does have, it, it, it is a goal-oriented walkthrough. And that's what's most useful to me. Like, um, you know, the, uh, the walkthrough that, you know, this style of walkthrough that's like a list of parser commands with no context uh, means that like if I'm halfway through the game and I haven't up to now already been following the walkthrough it's almost impossible to figure out like oh well what do i do next if i can't figure it out from the hints uh the walkthrough is not useful because you would basically have to like type in the walkthrough from the beginning or like reset the game or something it's it's not it's not meant it almost seem, doesn't seem human readable it's like a it's like a script to follow yeah, and and i get why you would do that but it seems most useful for someone testing the game yeah, yeah. rather than someone playing it so i i Again, if someone's put this much effort into hinting, it seems a little unfair to say that, like, how dare you give me a walkthrough that I don't like? Yeah. But the walkthrough really is just almost like for testing the game. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah. I wouldn't use it if you're trying to, for example, replay the game in the proper um, format with a click through. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I also totally get why somebody creating a game like this would want to create a walkthrough that is um, not super user friendly because they want to encourage you to try things and go off the beaten path. They don't want everybody to just sort of follow their, their walkthrough steps. Um, so, you know, fair enough, maybe offer both. I would have really appreciated that when I got stuck right at the end of the game, which I will talk about after the spoilers. Well, especially if you've taken the trouble to write all of those hints, it would have been nice to have those hints in just a list and a word. Doc. Totally. totally <laughs> just yeah. on a website. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, so yeah, uh, I, uh, I'm not sure how much more I can, I definitely want to talk about some of the stuff that happens in the puzzles in this game. Uh, but a lot of those are going to be spoilery content. We are here, of course, months and months after, uh, the close of the comp. And so I think there's a very good chance that if you're very interested in the comp, this game placed first place. If somebody was going back after the comp, they probably would have touched on this one, but maybe you didn't. And you're but, listening to this. But we didn't. So right. we, hey, we didn't. <laughs> we can't blame you if you didn't. Of course not. So, so we're going to now be talking about spoilers for, uh, for the uh, impossible bottle. If you want to skip past uh, spoilers, I do chapterize these episodes. So you can skip to the next chapter. That'll be where we're talking about the next game. Um, we were talking a moment ago about a puzzle you were alluding to. Um, what was your, how did you like the uh, the dinosaur situation? I liked the dinosaur. That was the first time I used the hints. Mm -hmm. um, so for the dinosaur is that your dad um, is like, guess what? I found your plastic dinosaur and I put it in a funny place. And you're like, oh, God, not the dollhouse. Don't put it in the magic dollhouse. And you hear thumping upstairs and you go up and it's this. Of course, uh, your dad put the stegosaurus in the magic dollhouse. Of course. So you go upstairs and it's this uh, goofy giant stegosaurus who follows you around like he a loves puppy you. and loves you and will use the giant stegosaurus tail to thwop things off of shelves and, you know, thwop things off desks. And also in your dollhouse will just knock things periodically off of the dollhouse and onto the floor that you then have to put back or holes in your inventory um, he will, he's literally wrecking your house from the inside. And a joke they have built in is that the first thing, the first things you get to say, they say, Emma be a doll, ha ha ha. And then one of your options for why you don't want to clean the house is, 
I cleaned it, but then a stegosaurus ran by and messed the whole thing up again. Oh, you know, of course, that's right. I'd forgotten about that line by the time the stegosaurus showed up. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So the stegosaurus does show up and, and does wreck your life. Um, eventually, you realize you can, like, climb on top of the stegosaurus and use it as, you know, to, to help you out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have to also play very loud music. And get it thumping bass so the stegosaurus will dance, which takes a lot more finagling than you'd think. That was that um, was okay. This is where my complaint. That was a very in. that was when I needed hints because it was very persnickety. Yes, and very specific about what you'd done. And yeah. I thought it was kind of an open ended puzzle by the way it was being phrased. I thought there were multiple ways to do it, but there's one way to do it. Yeah, because <laughs> I tried about twenty other things first. <laughs> yeah, so this was this. If I have a complaint about the game, it's that it this puzzle and a few others. Uh, were a little bit too uh, hard, honestly, or like uh, fussy, uh, especially considering that the early game ones, uh, they didn't... Were so straightforward. Yeah, yeah, they were very straightforward. Uh, the dinosaur thing, first of all, getting... It does hint at getting the dinosaur to dance being a part of what you need to do, but like, it's quite complicated. You need to get the dinosaur to dance, but you need to get him to dance... First of all, he follows you around, so he doesn't. He he can't just dance where you are. He has to be dancing in one of the rooms that you can see from your dollhouse, and he needs to be dancing. Uh, uh, and, and and like you need to be in the dollhouse room. Like you need to be able to leave him alone, have him dance. You need to be separately walled off, but you can't be in the dollhouse room. Like you can't yeah. create like a and wall. You can't like shut the door on the Stegosaurus. He follows you from room to room, and apparently, it's impossible for a six-year-old to shut the door on a Stegosaurus. Which, fine, I guess that's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was really fussy. Uh, you have to do this whole uh thing where you have to enlarge a. Uh, music box in order to ha- play music and the music box al- alone isn't loud enough but once it's enlarged it's too heavy for you so you have to use a wheeled chair to move it into a different room you have to set up the microphone and the speaker and you have to get those going then you have to get the the stegosaurus dancing you, you have to oh my god the thing with the i think they could really have done without the extra step of requiring a hamster running yep. on the mechanism like if i were if i were making suggestions here i would have chupacabra just cut, excuse me uh, wasn't it chupacabra for you? What are you talking about? Oh, was it? Wasn't it? I thought it said capybara. Oh, capybara. I, I'm the chupacabra is a, a much weird, scarier thing. That would be very different. <laughs> no, no, that was just I a would brain not substitution. Enlarge a toy chupacabra in the house. No, my no, my brain definitely went weird animal with a C and was like chupacabra. Chupacabra, of <laughs> no, <course>. capybara. <laughs> Excuse me if I you are a capybara lover. And yeah, I, I called it weird. Apologies. Apologies. They are really weird though. <laughs> Um, they do be weird. Uh, the, so yeah, that, that whole thing. So not a hamster or a chupacabra. <laughs> so I didn't actually, for some reason, I think I never picked up. First of all, it, it only recur- refers to it as nibbles and nibbles is like a stuffed animal or something. Yeah. You have to look at nibbles. And yeah. Then it and I that. hadn't even, I hadn't even glanced at nibbles. Um, so I spent a really long time trying to figure out how to maneuver the, without finding the, um, the, the hamster uh, set up to to make the thing go. I thought I had to stand there and crank it, and I spent yeah. a long time figuring out how to trying to figure out how to move the dinosaur and then crank the thing, or if I could move the speaker, or if I could somehow figure out a longer wire so I could have the microphone in the other room with the speaker where it was, or try to figure well, out how plus, to. Move. Oh, it was, it was I got the music box not large. I got the small music box in next to the speakers in my dollhouse room mm-hmm. and they just kept saying perhaps it could use more bass yeah it's like that kind of is a good hint but it's also it, it's it's a go further it's it's literally just saying go keep going and, and yeah and it, it it's like good hinting but at a really 
obtuse thing. Um, the thing that really frustrated me about that whole situation, by the way, was that because that was a, a puzzle that I was stuck on, it's also a situation where whenever you're in the room, every like turn around, the, mm-hmm. the Stegosaurus knocks something out of your dollhouse. And by the end, like it was really becoming frustrating because I would like have to pick up everything and put everything back in the dollhouse um, and and try again. And, and like I would have things like. It, it, it was really, really throwing me off. Like, um, you know, I just had an inventory full of every piece of furniture in the house because it was all. And you have to remember where it floor. goes or yeah. else you're going to break further puzzles later. It got like, and it, I'll say like, it's, it's something for a, a text-based game to be able to have this sort of frenetic, hectic energy, this sort of feel of like, uh, of like everything's coming apart at the seams, but like. I really had a everything's coming apart at the seams time during there. And I eventually just like gave up and like figured it out from the walkthrough, which was very frustrating. Um, But like, it is a really cool puzzle. I just would personally, I would have probably toned down that particular puzzle. I would have probably taken out. Now this is, I'm not a designer. So, Hey, and this guy won first place. Who am I to talk? Right. (laughs) People liked this game a lot, but like, I, I really wish that that had been less, uh, onerous, maybe, maybe like you know, subtract the um the need for the the hamster, uh, or maybe um uh maybe have the guy knock stuff out of the uh the dollhouse every two or three turns or something. Come on, um, but that's where I was. Um, but overall, like I was really really impressed with this. And did you? Uh, I don't know. I know Laura, you didn't quite complete this one. I did, apart from I assume what I think is the last like turn, and I'm kind of stuck right there. Um, and I can explain why. But like, how far did you get? Did you get inside the bottle? I got inside the bottle, but I didn't go further. So. Yeah, honestly, I got about to to there as well. Um, because inside, getting inside the bottle was really fun. I really, really liked. There's the the moment when you're you figure out you can shrink yourself by climbing out of the dollhouse was I thought like a really great like a big brain explosion moment. Um, I actually did it early on by accident. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and I didn't know what the hell was happening because like I, I don't know exactly what conditions have to be met for you to be able to do that, but like you have to go into one of the rooms that's in the dollhouse and then you have to like basically try walking out a, a direction that's not an exit, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, do you have to I do don't anything else? If you climb out the window or if you just try to I, Yeah, I think I just like hit like east or something and east wasn't an exit or something. Um mm. I forget. Um, but like you do, I think you have to climb out a window, but I don't remember. Yeah. Um, I, I did it by accident. I don't remember exactly how I ended up managing it, but like suddenly you're, you're on a flat plane or like a smooth plane or something like that. Strange. Of course you're on the table in your room, but I had no idea what had happened. I, I thought I was, I I honestly, I thought I had figured out how to walk up walls or something. I thought I was like on the ceiling or or something. Cause I, I hadn't figured it didn't, I didn't put it together yet at the time that like, a little tiny doll Emma had just walked out the wall of her dollhouse into her room, um, which is really, really cool. I loved that. Um, and then being able to use that in the context of a puzzle and especially the little detail where you like, you have to drive your toy, uh, your toy fire truck around. That was great. I loved that. I did get stuck very, very right at the end. Um, and which is why I haven't completed this one. And um, it's one of those things where like, I have a door to unlock 
I, I have a key in my inventory. I thought it was the key to open that door. Apparently it's not. And I don't know how to unlock that door. And I read through the walkthrough and it doesn't even mention the door. So I'm like, what did I do wrong? Um, mm. So I don't know. But uh, that's where I am with it. I, I do really want to see the ending of this, even for the silly reason that like I kind of want Emma to be able to have dinner. <laughs> so Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you looked at the... Did you look at the bookshelf? No. Where? Where? So if you look at the bookshelf in your uh, in the study, uh, it's like bunch of boring grown up books. Mom's book is here, and if you look at Mom's book, uh, it's she wrote a book called The Impossible Bottle, uh, a study in physics of non linear proportional something something something. So it's implied that your mother possibly invented this technology. <laughs> That's cute. But I it's just that. kind of thrown in there from the bookshelf. It's like not even important to the plot. It's just explains why it's there. I I think I see it more of like as a, you know, a, a young child's fanciful imagination, a sort of a, you know, Alice in Wonderland uh daydream. But but in the game, it's actually implied that her mom might have invented this tech. Yeah, I feel like it's like, is, well, okay, sure. That's great. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, I, I love it as sort of like a child's daydream, and that works for me. So I didn't, I didn't need to like uh, look underneath the, the, um, the, the dollhouse table and find like a, like a particle accelerator or something. But that's fine. No, no. I, I just uh, – I, whenever there's a bookshelf in mm. a game, I will always look at the books and try to read the books. It's of just kind of my would, like Laura. <laughs> i gotta gotta be me Mm -hmm. you gotta be you i love it i love it uh so yeah anything else to say about the impossible bottle i think it's a really really you know i I definitely see why this one first place i think personally my taste i liked tavern crawler better um but i think you know and i talked at length about why i loved tavern crawler on the episode and would recommend people go check that one out but um uh we'll link it in the show notes but i will say the uh author has written a really good in-depth article on both the tech side of this game and kind of how he wrote it, the the whole process behind the puzzle design, etc. So I didn't uh, finish it because I wanted to finish the game, but it it is a very lengthy uh, author's note and it does include a full dependency chart uh, for the puzzles, which I think is just uh, there was one of these in um, like Emily Short loves handing these out after her games, and I think that if you're trying to learn or interested in narrative design, it's a really helpful uh, thing. I, I, I love it when authors uh, give these kind of meta notes, um, especially considering he wrote his own system. Yeah, uh, and he does say that he plans to improve the hint system in the next game. All right. Uh, because he needs the sub goals. He says like the, the issue is that it wasn't specific enough for like the sub steps. Uh, yeah. He only had high level steps. Um, so he could say that um, it assumes that you've done some steps to move forward, even though, for example, the dinosaur might've knocked something over. And so that's no longer true. So by making it track secondary steps, some of the fun stuff he added about the dinosaur knocking stuff off wouldn't break the hint system. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, I, I think it's still a very solid hint system. I, I'm very eager to see where this system goes and see if other folks end up adopting it. You know, um, I, I, I'm, I, 
I, I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye out for uh, dialogue-based games in future comps and elsewhere in the IF community. It looks really, really cool. So continuing down our list of the top 10 placements, uh, first of all, the way that uh, that uh, IF comp handles ties uh, is they uh, they sort of excise a place. So there's a tie for first place. And then the third place game, there is no second place because it's, you know, uh, not necessary with the top 10 being including ties. Um, the third place game was Vain Empires by uh, Thomas Mack and uh, Zavid. And uh, that one was one that Shane played. I believe it was on the first episode we did. Let me check. Nope. Where was it? Uh, no, it was on episode 249, uh, part three of our IF Comp 2020 coverage. Uh, Shane really loved this game. And I was definitely infected by his love for it. Uh, it's a very, very cool uh, parser puzzle game with a really unique, uh, you know, main character slash perspective. Uh, I won't spoil it here if you're curious. Uh, the quick description is the memoir of a demonic spy in cold war between heaven and hell. Uh, if that doesn't grab you, nothing will. Uh, and that won third place. Um, so I think uh, probably good placement for it there. Uh, fourth place was Limerick Quest by Pace Smith, the sequel to Limerick Heist. And it was a significant expansion on that concept. And I I think this is, I'm really glad that I saw that this made it into the top 10 because I was just so impressed with it. I had such fun with it. Um, I think this is the top placing choice-based game uh, in the comp. Unless you count the impossible bottle because it does have this sort of point and click, but it still is basically a parser. Nah, I don't count that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then, oh, and what am I talking about? Uh, Tavern crawler is choice based. What am I talking about? For some reason that felt parser based in my head. I don't know why. Uh, It's, it's very in depth, but uh, definitely Limerick quest is, it it sort of feels choice based, right? It's uh, Mm a, it's very much in the sort of, uh, I guess, twine verse, Uh, but it is literally verse. It is, uh, it is a wonderful, a uh, wonderful game that takes place entirely in limerick form, including all of its, uh, you know, uh, interface text. Things like your inventory is constantly in limerick form, which is really, really impressive. Uh, and it told a fun story. I had so much fun with this one. It was it was a highlight of the comp for me. Next up, we've got uh, the Magpie Takes the Train, which is the authorized sequel to Alias the Magpie by J.J. Guest. And this game is by Mathbrush. I think I've correctly allocated everybody's name. Um, Heist, our parser, super fun. Uh, mm-hmm. This one was a really big treat to play. Um, I ended up playing it after the comp, um, but it's I, I love a heist game. I, mm-hmm. I think there should be at least a heist in every IF comp just to make <laughs> me happy. <laughs> I, I totally agree. It's like it's one of those things that just sort of works well in like a puzzle context. And this one was particularly well done. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, and the the magpie is just like such a great uh, like setup. A sort of gentleman thief is like a perfect uh, a perfect IF protagonist. Um, so yeah, and oh, and also that this takes place in such a restricted area. Like you're you're on a train. It's basically one room. Um, I loved that. So that was really really cool. I believe we covered that in the first episode as well. Yes, yeah, it was episode uh, uh, two forty five, and that was part one of our coverage. And then after that, it's the Eleusinian Miseries by Mike Russo, uh, which is described as a semi historical farce. 
parser based. Uh, so we covered this on episode 246 uh, of our coverage. That was part number part two. Uh, and it was actually uh, Robin Johnson that talked about it on that episode. He was our guest for the episode. So uh, that was a really impressive uh, sort of humor piece, kind of a PG Wodehouse kind of vibe, I think, but set uh, in uh, ancient Greece and, or Athens. And I, I really, um, I, I didn't complete this one. I played a little bit of it and, uh, and loved the, the, the style of it. And it's just, it's just really funny. Um, so Robin Johnson definitely made a case for why this game should be in the top 10 in that episode. I would go back and listen to him talk about it. He'll do a better job than me, but it was, it's a, it's a really good humor game. Um, one of the funniest in this year's comp for sure. Uh, the next one down on the list was a rope of chalk by Ryan Veter, which I uh, I really, really enjoyed. And I think that one we talked about on, let me find it. It was, yes, episode uh, 246, part two uh, uh, of our coverage uh, again. And that one was was great. Um, I, I I was new to Ryan Veter's work. He's pretty big in IF and I uh, somehow had mostly missed his work and hadn't played many of his other games. Um, so I was really glad to be introduced to his work through this game, which is, I think, really, really cool. Um, it, the, the less said about it, the better, honestly, uh, because it's got some really surprising uh, stuff in it. But if you want, uh, I, I talked quite a bit about it on the episode. Uh, the description there was an account of the disastrous sidewalk chalk tournament of August 27th, 2011. Uh, and if you wonder about how a sidewalk chalk tournament could prove to be disastrous, uh, it's it's quite a thing and um, a really surprising game in a lot of ways. So I would recommend checking that one out for Beautiful. sure. And now the rest of the top 10 are new to us. So yes, um, I played uh, one of the games that tied for eighth place, uh, A Murder in Fairyland by Abigail Korfman. And she is the author behind 16 Ways to Kill a Vampire at McDonald's. Um, oh, right. Um great way to get your game played is to put a number in the title <laughs> so it comes first <laughs> on the list before. um they've made that better but uh, uh well-deserved uh way to get your foot in the door there and she's done a couple of her since um murder in fairyland is a very elaborately designed game so the it is uh choice based it is um a game where you are uh moving around making decisions as if it's you know, twinish, but it's wrapped in a container where you're moving northeast southwest you have a full inventory system there are colored backgrounds there are sound effects there's music there are word searches there are riddles there are puzzles that require you to type on the keyboard there's all of these different things going on you can cast spells um you can compile huh. spells and the whole point of A Murder in Fairyland is you start off this kind of flying entity spirit and it's implied you're powered on like the web and maybe possibly the number of Steam games you didn't play. Uh, it's all very abstract. And suddenly you're trying to cross the space and you're flying and you are blocked by a pop-up, like literally a pop-up. Um, <laughs> and the pop-up... You can't close it, and so you're forced to land, uh, and you've been passing over Fairyland, and now you are stuck in Fairyland. Your ship has landed. It was literally sailing the World Wide Web or the sea, um, and now you have to figure out how 
to get Fairyland to solve their problems so that they will let your ship go free and close this pop-up. Um, the idea that you are, you know, all this extra powers you have doesn't really come into the game too much except the fact you're bringing spells. Uh, you are collecting moats by doing um, different word searches. Like you'll do a word search and you'll get eight words that mean light and then you have eight moats of light you can use in your spell casting or trading for people in the goblin market. But something I said intentionally move rather than go, you are in a wheelchair the whole time. So one of the obstacles is that uh, Fairyland isn't very ADA compliant. And so you are literally not able to go places because the uh, chair won't fit over the lip or, you know, the, you can't move an object while moving. So you need to cast a spell. You need to get the right spell so that something else can move something out of the way while you move your chair. Um, those kind of, it's in, you can't reach high enough to do something. Um, all of these are built into this fantasy world. Uh, the puzzles have this nice um, extra layer where you know you roll east, roll left, roll around the screen. But what I really liked about it was the way you solve things is through bureaucracy. <laughs> I like a bureaucracy puzzle because um, if you're trying to do a game that also says it's hard to be uh, someone who needs a wheelchair ramp in a game, <laughs> then to have fairy forms, fairy tale bureaucracy, where it's all logic puzzles and getting the right form, getting the thing stamped, finding out what ley line things are on, feels just like a great extension. I'll also say my biggest laugh, um, I hate that I'm this person. I currently live in New York. <laughs> Uh-oh. Um, I have just been filling out some new tax forms and uh, they ask over and over every time you do something for taxes, if you live in Yonkers or like, did you do any work this year in Yonkers? Did you do anything in Yonkers this year? It's asked like eight times per form. And so you're filling out one of the form and they say like, did the complaint happen in Yonkers? No. And then you keep going down and later it's like, did the complaint happen in Yonkers? No. At the bottom of it, you have to answer again. Are you sure this didn't happen in Yonkers? So it's like, I know where you live, Abigail. <laughs> <laughs> and you had to fill out a tax withholding for New York State <laughs> recently. Um, anyway, all of this happens. And then the thing that's actually on the 10 comes into play. The 10 says this game is about solving a murder where everyone wants to be accused of the crime. This, regardless of the game say it was an hour all of the stuff I'm talking about on forms and word searches and moats and surfing the web, all of this happened before I found out there was a murder. <laughs> I played the game for an hour before I found out that the queen wanted me to solve the murder of the prince to figure out which one of the people claiming credit actually did it. So mm -hmm. I'd say the other thing... That's why I don't think any of that is spoiler because I didn't say how it happened, but just be expected. It's more like two. And the second thing I'll say is at that point, you can stop there if you want. You could just accuse someone randomly of the murder and call it a day, get in your ship and leave. And I say this not to dissuade you from doing those puzzles, but to prevent you from accidentally ending the game early. At this ah. point, hit save. 
I did something that caused me to accuse somebody and the game just ended, basically. Like I was forced to go through and end the game. At that point, I had to roll back to a really early save and replay a bunch of stuff to get keep going because I found all of the murder puzzles very interesting. Hmm. Um, uh, just, and I think that's probably, if I had to guess, the, the reason why it's eighth and not higher for all the stuff it's got going for it is because the murder investigation takes a really long time. You can end it pretty arbitrarily and there's no consequences. And... It's only you who have to decide if you like the murder investigation. And I think people were split on that. Like, either that's a great feature or it's not. And the fact that it takes an hour to get to the murder investigation, if you're really just exploring the world, might have turned some people off. So I think in uh, perhaps if it was a little bit more, it picked a lane, it might have ended up in like fourth or fifth. But um, I think it's still very much worth playing. Just no going in. It's much longer than it suggests. And it's got some really interesting late game puzzles. Uh, if you're enjoying the first couple form puzzles, um, by logic puzzle, I mean, you're literally going, you've got a list from a book of like 50 rules about how you fill out the form. And then you have to, when you have a problem, figure out what that form would be. So based on it, you're like, okay, it's historical, so it must have the number three in it, and it's dealing with theft, so it must be divisible by 10. And because of this word needs to be in the title, it must end with a B, and then all the numbers being descending oil. So I have to go down a hall, click these buttons in order, get the form, and then mm. hope it's the right one. So half the puzzle is figuring out what the form name is, and then you have to fill it out correctly. <laughs> and, and so you can see if you accidentally end early and you've done four of your eight forms like Ooh, what a tragedy that yeah. is because do you know you is see it, it so does, does the game have an undo option because that's usually the 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 play there there is an undo option but it takes several turns to figure out the consequences of your actions okay okay so you can accidentally in the game but then you go to the courtroom, you, you go to the throne room, they pick the winner, blah, 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 blah. So it, it could take a while to undo. Gotcha. Yeah. So okay. it, it's not. That's a bit of a bummer. Yeah. I uh, I always, uh, you know, this is one of the reasons I prefer to play parser games on my, you know, on a, in a, on a parser app on my computer uh, is because I do a lot of that saving, you know, quick saving and reloading if, if I'm going to try something. Um, and, you know, uh at least that option is there, but it's certainly frustrating if you forget to use well, it or don't use it. I think I made the assumption that I could just accuse someone for the queen and then continue investigating. I, I, I assumed that was the way the game that, yeah. worked, and that was not the case. So, Well, good advice. Good advice. It sounds like a super fun game. Uh, I, I don't think it stood out to me quite as much as uh, some of the other uh fantasy games on the list i think part of this is literally just because the the description on the page is pretty sparse mm -hmm. you know it says a murder in fairyland sugar plums and foul play and then it's just got three very short sentences in the description prince black tree is dead all the other fairy nobles are trying to claim credit a whodunit where the suspects are clamoring to be accused and it's like that's very sparse that threw me because i was playing the game for so long without that being a part of the game that i thought i had looked at like a prequel or like i thought i was mm -hmm. playing the wrong game for most of it um i do like games that like take the time to set the stage you know i have 
games are so very often like, you know, you're playing as a character alone in a series of rooms with, you know, uh, and, and the context can sometimes be difficult to ferret out and providing that sort of like world building in advance of introducing sort of the main thrust of the mm-hmm. plot, I think is a, is an interesting approach and probably worth exploring. And I, I'm, I'm a little sad to hear that it didn't work super well for you in that aspect, but like, I'm still, I'd still rather honestly play games where somebody takes the time to like set the stage, at least as long as they do it in a relatively economical way. And I'm not like playing four hours before I, get I wasn't worried about that. I just seriously thought I was playing the wrong game. Um, and I was <laughs> worried I had, I mean, I knew it was in Fairyland, but I thought, you know, maybe I'd looked up the wrong game on the, um, IFDB. I, I will say there's one seriously beautiful piece of writing. This game is very mm. much like a variety pack. I've said like there's word searches, there's spells, there's all kinds of stuff happening. But there is one point where you are tracking down parts of a spell that someone has stolen and they've left it and you have to kind of reassemble it, literally recompile it as if it's code. Uh, But the way this takes shape is in these poems that you are re, you're putting all the lines in order and they are split into four or five parts and you're re-putting the right order. And it's about the woman's headscarf and it's just beautiful piece of writing nothing to do with the rest of the game but it's just a really lovely poem that you put together in three parts and then it assembles scarf you can use to, to cast spells with um didn't hmm. like could have gone for the joke could have done something funny it's just a really lovely piece about like why she loves the scarf um and i think that's what this game is it's just it, it may not be like the most stellar transitions, but there's just so many little pieces in it that are interesting that it really keeps you going. That sounds great. I, I'm looking forward to checking it out. Um, the, the next one on the list that tied with that one. So this is, I don't know if that's unusual, but it seems like ties are, they ties, the, I guess, obviously, if you have like this many games and the way their scoring works, like, I guess they're inevitable, but like, it does seem like a lot of ties. Look at the number of people submitting. So like, even winners got like 52 votes. I think there were so many games that fewer people played each one. So there was less spectrum. Yeah, they go to two, uh, two percent uh, percentage points. So like, this means that both of these eighth place games, for example, got uh, 7.35 as their score. And, you know, that is uh, across 40 votes in the case of Murder in Fairyland and 48 votes in the case of Stuff of Legend, which is the, the next game on our list here that also placed eight. Um, I mean, you know, the math on that seems kind of un- like unlikely in some cases, like, but I'm like, wow, okay, I guess that's how it worked out. These ties are, are pretty interesting. Um, and, you know, if you look at the, the distribution graph, which is one of the things that I think is most interesting about the way they present the results on the IFDB or IFD, IFCOMP page, uh, the graphs really don't look similar. Uh, the um, uh, Murder in Fairyland has a huge spike, a, a large proportion, uh, 14 of the 40 judges gave this game a, a seven, uh, whereas Stuff of Legend is a little more spread out. Uh, the the uh, There also were 14 people giving this a seven, but it has a sort of a smoother looking curve because there's a larger number of people giving it like sixes, eights and nines as well um, compared to, to murder of in fairyland. But anyway, I just think it's very interesting the way that these ties happen, despite what seems like a pretty fine grained scoring system. Stuff of legend uh, is a 
So first of all, I think it's the first game from Lance Campbell. I looked him up on IFDB, and this is his only credited work there. Um, and uh, so if that's the case, if this is a debut work by a new IF author, then it's extremely impressive. It's very, very well implemented. And the prose is very funny. It, it really worked. It is a style of game that I I like it quite a bit. It's just I've, I've played a lot of um, humorous medieval... Uh, you know, chivalric uh, parser games with funny protagonists. Um, I think back on, you know, there's a, there's been a number of those over the years. In fact, one of them placed second this year and was my favorite game in the comp. So perhaps it's just by, uh, uh, and second, excuse me, actually uh, mm-hmm. tied for first. I'm talking about Tavern Crawler. Um, so perhaps it's just by comparison to that and uh, other first place uh, winners like um, uh, the the... Ah. Uh, the wizard sniffer which has gone down as probably one of maybe my favorite if comp game of all time i just love that game so much and perhaps it's just by comparison to games like that um being that it's sort of playing in the same setting and 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 you know humor space uh that this game suffered slightly for me by comparison to those games so um uh take that for what you what it's worth i i do think this is an extremely solidly well well done put together game and has some extremely funny pros so the all that aside getting into the the meat of this game um uh, the stuff of legend uh, the description on the page, a, le- a lazy medieval comedy of errors, uh, and the description, the only thing worse than being a village idiot is being an unemployed village idiot. Maybe it's time to change careers. Maybe it's time to be a knight. And that is setting up what I think is a really solid set of puzzles around the story of this uh, village idiot who really is an idiot. He's he's not faking it, <laughs> folks. He's really dumb. Um but uh, but in a fun way, uh, who has just gotten into a huge fight with the town drunk, uh, and uh, it it got violent, and he lost his job as the village idiot, and um, so he's sort of kicking his way back to where he lives, which is this farm where he rents a stall in their barn. Uh, it was where he lives, um, and most of the game takes place at this at this uh, barn where you are, you know, you you talk to, there's really quite well-realized uh, NPCs. There's obviously, like, the farmer, um, his wife, and his little girl. Um, and you can talk to all of them, and they have quite a bit of dialogue with them. And uh, all of them think you're an idiot, because you are. And uh, at some point in conversation with the little girl, uh, you get the idea that now that you've lost your job as the village idiot, uh, it's time to become a knight. I really love that conversation, by the way, because it's, it happens early in the game. You uh, you are talking to the little girl, and I'm not going to do it justice here because I don't recall the words and didn't take a screenshot, but you, you, uh, you're suggesting numerous different things that you might do for a living, all of which are really bad puns. And she's totally unamused by all of them until finally you come up with, uh, with knight, and she thinks that's a pretty fun idea, and so you decide you're going to become a knight. So half after deciding you've you've got to become a knight, uh, you've got a very uh, sort of standard interactive fiction set of tasks to accomplish. Uh, you know, you've got to uh, get the clothes to become a knight, which consists of things like a helmet, right? Um, and you've got a bunch of other tasks similar to that, where you know you need I think you need a horse, a whole whole set of things um, that you need in order to become a knight, and then you need you need a quest. 
that you need to go on as a knight. Um, and so you have to talk to these various NPCs around the farm, the little girl, the the farmer's wife, and the farmer himself. Um, and uh, so a, a quick early example would be that, you know, you know you need uh, a helmet. And you talk to the wife about what a helmet is, and she explains to you that a helmet is something hard that you wear on your head, but you're going to need an eye hole in it in order Great. to be able to see out. Uh, and uh, the best option in the uh, in the 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 farmhouse is probably the um, the bucket that is behind the milking cow, and you're going to try to take that bucket to turn it into a helmet, right? Of course you are because you're you're a, a village idiot trying to become a, a knight. That's exactly what you would put on your head as a bucket. Um, and so I'm just I, I'm leading up to this because it's uh, one of the early uh, really good examples of the humor of the writing uh, that I took a screenshot of. Uh, you know, you want to get that bucket, but the cow is standing in the way and won't let you have it. And uh, so then you can try to talk to the cow, which you do by <laughs> typing moo. And uh, and then I really love the way this was 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 phrased. It says, "You moo at Minnie the best you can." Minnie nods her head in thoughtful answer and turns her eyes towards you. Yes, you see now. It appears that Minnie understands what you are saying, even if you don't. Your mind whirls with questions and possibilities. Have you always been able to communicate in this way without knowing it? Could you communicate with other animals in a similar manner? If you speak the language of animals, can you ever truly understand what it is to be an animal? Regardless, you are in conversation with an animal now, and she is clearly waiting for you to speak to her. And you have four dialogue options, which are moo, 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 and end the discussion. Um, and this was a great puzzle because... It's got a really dumb, simple, dumb, dumb, dumb answer uh, to the puzzle, which is you try to you try to settle the cow down. And I think I, I may not 100% be clear on this because it seems like this puzzle is randomized. But uh, I believe you're just supposed to go for whatever is the mooiest mm. sound it gives you. You know, whichever one sounds the most mooish. I think it's like looking for longer moos or moos starting with M and it's giving you a randomized assortment and you have to go through this dialogue like <laughs> a, a kind of a lot <laughs> in order to to settle the cow down. That's the kind of thing that you're going to be doing in this game. Um, I, I thought it was really charming, really funny. Um uh, but it didn't quite 100% hold my attention, and I think it's probably just the things that I was mentioning earlier. Is that like I, I, uh, I, I was, uh, you know, I, I, I'm I'm doing a disservice here. Part of it was also probably just that I was, uh, hmm? I don't know, maybe distracted <laughs> by other things. So um, uh, if it sounded funny to you, it probably will be funny, and it was pretty consistently funny uh, through all of it that I got through. Um, it was just one of those things where like it was. Just light enough and fast moving enough that when I started hitting friction, I started bouncing off of it a little bit. Um, and that's mostly probably on me. I think this is a really solid game. I will I will mention one other bit of writing that I thought was just funny enough that I had to take a screenshot of it, which is that you uh, uh, you're trying to find a weapon. And uh, the uh, you get this very quickly. The uh, the farmer's wife uh, is willing to give you her shears uh, to use as your knightly weapon. Uh, and when she does, you take a few practice swings with the shears and it says the blades, you take a few practice swings, the blades cutting through the air, like, well, you are going to finish that thought with the word butter, but then you realize that butter is more difficult to slice than air. So you stop making <laughs> a comparison altogether. <laughs> um, it's a, it's a very funny game. It's really well written. Um, 
I think it's as far as like it's puzzles and everything, it feels pretty standard to me. It's a you know, it's one of these Um, it nothing about the puzzles or hint system or anything was like bad. Obviously, it placed in eighth place. This is the kind of game people like in the comp, Um, but it also feels sort of light. It's not trying to reinvent the wheel or do anything revolutionary. Um, The uh, the hinting system is a solid Invisiclues style hinting system. So you type help and it gives you a menu that you can navigate with keyboard commands and um, it has sort of progressive disclosures on the hints. Uh, One thing that I quite liked about the way that it presented those was that sometimes the first option or even two are just jokes. Uh, So it kind of is there to like make sure you really want hints before you start getting the actual hints and sometimes it's very funny too. So this was really a game designed to be just a really it's it's a really good one of these and if this is a one of those that you want i would 100 percent recommend it um and uh i think it's great to and also honestly uh uh medieval parser puzzle comedies uh or you know fantasy parser puzzle comedies this is a thing that does well in the comp so i'm not supp- surprised that it placed uh in the in the top 10 i think it's extremely well done and uh, and also the sort of game that I think a lot of people will love. So I would recommend giving it a shot. So in 10th place is Sense of Harmony by Scenario World. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say, if this game was a full game and not a prologue, uh, this game would have been like second or possibly first if it was a full game. It is Ooh. a great start with a completely custom engine. But it is definitely reading. It's like watching the first thirty minutes of a Bourne movie and then turning it off. <laughs> like it's that's what it feels like. It is. <laughs> um, it is starting off in a like really cool world, and then like you have that first interaction with like danger, and then they disappear, and then it's like keep watching later. <laughs> that's exactly what this game does. I oh, think no. you got to know that going in. Elizabeth that Bolden either... will return in. It literally says that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess that's good at least. It's like Elizabeth Bolden will like will be continued in another thing. So this is definitely the first like series. But I, I want to say that right out the gate. Like, I think and I, I can't put words in people's mouths, but I think think that is all the low scores are people like what the hell this is not a game this is the start of a game yeah notably this game did not get anything below a five um right you know nobody really disliked this uh but it does have a sort of yeah it it seems like a lot of people gave this eights and nines um but yeah enough people decided uh, enough people decided to give it a five that they uh that they kind of sunk down the list a little bit yeah and i think it's because it's a huge cliffhanger and it's early so i i literally was my my husband was asking me to like help him with something and i said let me get to a stopping point uh give me five minutes i'll get to a stopping point and i'll pick this game up later and then the game ended oh that's a bummer that's really a bummer <laughs> so i didn't even I, I i thought even knowing it was going to be prologue like i thought there was going to be like 15 minutes left so i thought i had to get to a stopping place and then it just stopped um i don't want that to hamper the conversation i just know for a percentage of the population that is a deal breaker mm-hmm. um i have read many unfinished fan fiction so i am fine with this um, but <laughs> okay sense of harmony by scenario world 
uh, why do I think this game would have placed extremely highly had it been finished? So this has a completely custom interface that rules. It's um, kind of cyberpunky, And the idea is um, that you start off the game and you are um, a worker in a erotic massage parlor. It's not gross. It's not gross and it is not misogynistic and it is not mean to sex workers. So if those were your things, don't worry about that. You are, uh, you have just finished with a client and he's laying on a table and you get a white text on a black background and then the screen kind of shifts and some of the words are now in bold uh, colors, like bold neon green, bold orange, bold purple. And you had a couple actions you could do. He tells you, you know, he seems a little uncomfortable and you could like, you know, ask him about his day or whatever. Now you have these bold words. And when you tap on them on the right side of the screen, suddenly overlays of really detailed information pop up. Hearing, you can hear his heartbeat is accelerating. Touch, he is exhibiting like tension in the knot in the lower left shoulder and his sweat is coming out of his, you know, at this bout. Very detailed cybernetic implant type information for all of your senses. And each time you click on one of those words, new actions appear uh, boosted by these abilities. So if you click on uh, a memory, he says Nova Scotia, you click on that, it says memory database four weeks ago, here's a quote from him about living with his mom in Nova Scotia. You can then take that and use that to respond accordingly. So it takes this idea of this uh, augmented future and makes it really real and a very fun way that changes the actions on screen. And it feels like you have like a hollow lens or like a virtual reality glasses that you're seeing the world through this. At this point in the game, you don't know if this is something everyone has, if it's something else sex workers have, if you're special. It's just part of the game. It's how you experience life. The game is very short, so I won't spoil it. But the idea is that you've got a lot of things you're balancing. You're going to school. You're just trying to get through this job. You've got a new boss. You've got friends. It is clear you have abilities other people do not, and you need to use them to make your life easier or to investigate. And there is investigation. Uh, This Woman is a fantastic detective, and I want to see more of the story. I really do. Um, But you have all these powers, and you're also hiding it. Um, As you can imagine, there's so much going on. But all through this, you get this really interesting interface of pop-ups. And not only that, as things start going awry with your powers through this encounter with a dangerous being, big pink swaths come over the screen your circuits start replacing with other letters of fictional alphabets. Like sometimes your um, augmented pieces don't work. Um, All of this is buttery smooth. Like it could be very awkward, but the writing is good both in the cybernetic augmented piece and in the main dialogue. Uh, It's really interesting how they're dealing with like a new buyer of the brothel. It's a corporation. And now you have a man who's never worked in a brothel or with women before, but he's been uh, working with other people before. So he keeps saying guys and then correcting it as if he didn't mean to. (laughs) He says things like, "Uh, so how about you guys and girls that, (laughs) 
Yeah, it's pulling that kind of stuff. Like it's that. it's you know, he makes sure he says um at some point he he says the establishment and when you click on establishment with your cybernetic thing, uh it's like visual. You notice that his mouth formed the word like B for a microsecond before he said establishment. So he was going to say brothel. Like it's those kind of jokes mm. that this plays on. Super rich. I just finished it and wanted to keep playing it. Like this could be, and you know, I never say this, but I could see this being like a 20 hour game if she wanted it to. Nice. I assume she just based on the the writing, uh, it seemed like it was, but I do not know. Scenario world could be, you know, they, them didn't mean to misgender, but um, well, I can, I can speak to that a little bit because I just found their website and I wonderful. believe they are, uh, it is a team of two. I, uh, I believe they're both male. Uh, one of them oh. has he pronouns. The other one doesn't have pronouns in the description, but has uh, Liam Gallagher. Well, fantastic. So many props because you wrote a woman in such a way that I assumed you were a woman. Uh, I I honestly think that's a compliment. So. Yeah, Liam Gallagher I, and Brooke Jensen. Um, I, I'm definitely eager to see more uh, from this team. They apparently have... Uh, they have a they have a they have a Patreon uh, and they have a a website and I don't know what I that means. I can't imagine how much time it took to code this um, because it's it's beautifully written and it took a ton of time to code. So I really I'm always very excited when I see things with custom interfaces, uh, especially ones that that work because sometimes they don't uh, in in the comp. And I'm now I'm very eager to see like where this goes as a complete thing. So uh, I hope folks check that out. Yeah, I started the game and got so excited I posted a picture in the Discord. I was just like, look at this. It, it <laughs> like, looks like how did wild. no one tell us to play this? It looks um, um it looks a little cyberpunk, which is is cool. Like I know that's sometimes like you know, it's just text. No, but it it's does like... look cyberpunk. There's nothing punk about the character, but it definitely is has that cyberpunk augmented reality feel to it, which I really appreciated. Yeah, it looks it looks really cool. So I and I'm really looking forward to uh, giving that a shot, especially if it's eventually going to become a, a more full experience. I, it's really something if a game that is essentially an extended demo is able to get into the top 10, you know that it's got something special going on. Yeah. Um, and I, I do think that those fives were just people being like, it's half a game. Mm-hmm. Give it a five. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which, you know, I guess that's fair if that's your personal criteria, because, you know, most of the games in the comp are sort of full things. And I don't know if I'd feel particularly good about uh, like if, you know, if people just started using the comp as a place to like launch playable demos of things they were going to later uh, launch as full games elsewhere or even charge for separately or something like that doesn't feel completely with the spirit. Um, But it does feel like people responded well to this. And obviously you liked it. So I'm really glad to hear that that's the case. And and I hope to see more from this team. That sounds great. So we have been recording a little while, but since it is just the two of us, I thought maybe we could have squeeze in a quick what's making us happy this week. Uh, So Laura, what's making you happy this week? So I finally watched Silence of the Lambs for the first time. Okay, 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 okay. This blows, blows my mind that you, I know like it's, a, it's not, it's not a cool guy thing to be like, I can't believe no, you no. had already X, but it is really surprising to me that you hadn't watched Silence of the Lamb. W- didn't you like Hannibal? Yeah, I, all of Hannibal three times and- <laughs> The hell, Laura? Um, And I've also been over the last year watching almost every movie that Jonathan Demme directed <laughs> so like you make no sense to me so human. here's the re- here's the reason 
everyone assumes that uh, you've seen Signs of the Lambs. So no one wants, no one's like, let's watch this. Uh, two, mm-hmm. I, Hannibal was always going to do a Signs of the Lambs season. So I was like, I'll just watch it later. Like, I'll watch it as like a, yay. And it never got renewed. Um, and the other thing was I, my husband doesn't like scary movies. So I never suggested it because I thought it was scary. And he was like, no, no, it's, it's not scary per se. It's very different. Yeah. So I, I think I had not brought it up because I, I hadn't seen it. He'd already had. And I just didn't like, you don't especially suggest a movie that you've never seen and you're not sure if your partner likes as a date night movie. And like, who's going to be like, <laughs> it's 11 a.m. time to like watch Silence of the Lambs that I've never seen before. I, it's not the right atmosphere. Anyway, we finally watched it. Spoiler, it's a fantastic movie. Um, <laughs> like this movie that everyone was like, this movie's great and outstanding is an outstanding movie. I, you know, I will also say I got to be like, oh, he's using a close up like he did in the other like eighteen movies. Like I, I was very mm-hmm. film school about it. Um, it's wonderful. I highly suggest if you have a movie like that, like a shame movie that you just think everyone's seen, I give you permission to just watch it. Like I watched it on a Wednesday. Like there was no reason to watch Science of the Lambs. It just we were like. Let's go for it. You've never seen it. Um, mm-hmm. There's going to be something you haven't seen. Um, I knew people who were film majors who didn't watch The Godfather until they were 30 because they were too ashamed to say they had never watched The Godfather. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I guarantee you have something weird like that. Like, I, I couldn't be like, I'm a huge Hannibal fan and I've never watched Science of the Lamps. Like, just, 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 it's so easy to say nothing. But then mm-hmm. you've never seen Silence of the Lambs, and then you're like, this movie's great. Why haven't I watched it 40 times? I, I, I'm sure I have things like that, but I've, I've apparently locked them in the depths of my shame soul. So I need, to, I need to do some soul searching and figure out what my shame movies are. I'm sure they're out there. I've, I have a friend who's never seen Jurassic Park. Ah, uh, well, that's a fun evening. But like, what a great time we're going to have when she finally watches Jurassic Park. So yeah, it, absolutely. What's making That's me happy crazy. is like crossing something off my shame list that I truly loved. So I, I hope mm-hmm. you do the same listeners. Awesome. Well, um, my thing that I was going to going to say is, is a little bit of a, a different format for me uh, for the what's making us happy this week, because first of all, it's not making me happy that Sony is shutting down the PlayStation 3 and Vita and PSP online stores, that is not making me happy. No. It is, it is definitely not. That sucks and is dumb and I hate it. Uh, and I have all of those systems and like all of them and still use uh, two of the three. I still use my Vita and I occasionally still use my PlayStation 3. So that really sucks. Um, but I, one of the things that that prompted me to do was get my Vita out. I haven't used it in a little while. I hadn't booted it up. I do about a once a year thing where I like get out all of my old devices that I still use or still have and want to use occasionally. And I charge them and I see if there's any software updates for them. And I make sure everything's still working. And um, I'll, I'll preface this by saying like, um, maybe you will feel differently about this listener, but my moral ground on uh, pirating games all bets are off when they shut down the online store. So here's my, if, if you're waiting for permission from me 
you now, listener, have my permission to uh, hack your Vita. It's actually really, really easy now. Really easy. And just go on a downloading spree because Sony doesn't care. Or maybe if you want to be really responsible about it, you you go and buy the games through the store before it shuts down. And you uh, and you you know now if you do hack your Vita, then you have a nice way of backing those games up that you've legally purchased in a way that you'll be able to have in perpetuity, just like you ought to and legally should. But anyway, all that aside. This had me going through my Vita, doing updates, making sure the like hack thing that I did on it to be able to back up my game still worked, making backup copies of the games that I have purchased on there, maybe downloading a couple games that I, you know, wanted to have that I hadn't purchased <coughs> necessarily in the <coughs> the right way. Um anyway, I was going through all of that and I wanted to mention I've been using the Vita for a few years now and a lot of the games uh, on the Vita, this just had me going through all my list of Vita games. Um, a lot of the games on the Vita are, um, let's say, they're, they've been ported to other systems. They're available elsewhere. There's not a lot of Vita exclusives that are particularly notable left. But there are games that like I really strongly associate with the Vita. And I was just going to pretty much reel off some games that if you are, uh, if you have a Vita uh, and you're going through uh, just figuring out what to buy before the store shuts down, or load onto your Vita in some other way. Uh, I wanted to specifically recommend a few um, that I had played over the years that I really loved. Um, Odin Sphere Leaf Riser is really interesting. It's a vanillaware beat-em-up that has uh, a really bizarre art style and isn't quite as uh, gross in some visual ways that some of the vanillaware games are, but it also just, it's super, super fun to play. And I have been continually going back and like playing a little bit of that every couple of, I don't know, every every six months for years. <laughs> um, Sheeran the Wanderer is one of the only really, truly hardcore. Uh, and also, most of these are out on other platforms. I forget about Odin Sphere Leaf Riser. I think it's out on PlayStation 4. Uh, Sheeran the Wanderer just came out. The version the, that is out for the Vita um, finally was one of the last really important Vita exclusives. Just came out on the uh, on the Nintendo Switch. So there you go. It's great. Maybe play it there. Um, Persona 4 Golden, my favorite RPG of all time, I think, uh, is just one of the best RPGs ever made and uh, wonderful characters. For years, it was exclusive to the Vita. It's now out on Steam, so play it there or get it on your Vita if you have one. Uh, the Danganronpa games are great. Those also are now were originally Vita exclusives when I played them and have now made their way to other platforms. They've been re-released on PlayStation 4, I think, and maybe also on Steam. Ollie Ollie games, the Yay! two Ollie Ollie uh, like skateboarding games, I believe were the first one was a Vita exclusive when it came out, um, and is now out on everything. And as is its sequel, and they've announced a new one coming out that I'm very excited about. Ollie Ollie World is coming to the the, the Nintendo Switch uh, sometime later this year. Uh, Severed was another important Vita exclusive that I dearly, dearly loved and eventually got ported to other things and is now available on the Nintendo Switch. And you should probably play it there. But if you have a Vita, that's still a great platform for it. And Severed was such a wonderful game. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, last one that I was, I sort of made a list as I was scrolling through everything on my Vita being like, oh yeah, I loved that. I loved that. I loved that. <laughs> uh, Rollers of the Realm uh, ah. was a, we did an episode on it ages ago. It's also, I think, on PlayStation 4 and 3. Um, and PC. Maybe. I don't know. Um, 
It's a, uh, a pinball RPG that I loved. And then also, of course, if you have uh, a Vita, there's there's a zillion games you could play from the PSP library and the PlayStation 1 library as well. I'll specifically recommend if you are in the mode where you're wanting to purchase things before the store goes away, you are about to lose the ability to purchase Suikoden 1 and 2, uh, two of the greatest JRPGs ever made. They were available for the PlayStation uh, and the PlayStation versions of those games, if you're buying discs, are incredibly expensive, just absolutely gobsmackingly expensive. And that is about to be the only legit way to purchase these games. Uh, right now, you can buy them on the PlayStation Network and play them on your PS3 or Vita for peanuts. Uh, so, you know, consider that if you are the sort of person who wants to own a legit copy of those games, they are about to go away. And probably Konami is not going to get around to re-releasing these things because they only make slot machines now. So uh, get those, uh, maybe. And really, you know, take your your take your time, take the time to like, you know, go through if you've got a PlayStation 3 or Vita or PSP, go through those stores, go through what you've got. Make sure you've got your stuff backed up. If there's any games that you'd been waiting on purchasing, maybe do it. Otherwise, make sure you've got some other way to play those games if you want. Um, because uh, Sony, Sony doesn't care. They don't care about you. But there's a lot of great stuff on there. So I was just going to mention that because I was sort of making that list earlier. And, and it made me kind of happy to revisit. Wow, you know, I did play a lot of really great games on the Vita. And uh, it's it's a great system. So thumbs up to that. Um, listener, thank you for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. And uh, for for bearing with us while it took us forever to bring you this promised wrap-up episode. I hope that it was uh, acceptable uh, and uh, <laughs> thank you uh, to all of the IF Comp authors for creating the great works this year. Thank you to the folks who run the IFDB, the IF Comp page, uh, the IFTF, everything else associated. Um, the IF scene is always surprising and delighting us, and we love it. Um, if you, listener out there in listener land, have a suggestion of anything you think we ought to be checking out for the show, let us know. Uh, especially, uh, we're going to be trying to increase the amount of interactive fiction we cover separately from the comp on this show. That's something that we've resolved to do this year. Um, so if you have interactive fiction works from any era, not necessarily just brand new ones, but games that you think are particularly special to you and that would would warrant a good episode of the show with a close read, uh, let us know. We would love to do that sort of thing on the show. Uh, and we do sort of need that Sherpaing. We need folks to tell us what they think is worth playing for that. Um, also, uh, let us know what other types of games. Maybe you want to let me know what you're downloading from the Vita store before it shuts down. <laughs> or maybe you uh, want to let us know uh, what you're playing on your Nintendo Switch, for example, uh, that uh, you think would be right for the short game. Let us know at info at theshortgame.net or you know by email, or you can go to www.theshortgame.net and drop us a line on our contact form. Or if you want to be a real friend of the show, you can go to patreon.com slash theshortgame and drop us even just a dollar a month gets you instant access to our Discord. Our Discord community is where we chat with each other about the games that we're playing. It's where we plan the show. Uh, and it's where we talk to our listeners about games that we are interested in covering for the show. And other stuff too. If you just want to drop in and chat with us about literally anything, we're always happy to have new folks join. It's a great time to, to hang out. It's a good online hang. Uh, and it's been really invaluable over the last year as we've been all so very isolated. So come join us there. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. And Laura, where can people find you? 
You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And thanks once again for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.